0: Well, welcome to At the Movies. It's great to see you guys here today. I want to say a big welcome to those online and um, over at West Falls Church, my peeps over there. Um, again, my name is Derek and it's just great to see everybody. Um, we are going to have a blast for the next five weeks with this series. And basically what we're doing is we're looking at how popular movies intersect with God's truth for our lives. And we're starting with Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And I thought, you know what? Let's kick this thing off with a real bang. I I started Googling and searching, okay, what is the most popular scene of this movie? I want to lead with the most popular scene right off the bat. And so you know what I found? In Rogue One, the most popular scene is actually the ending scene, is the final scene of the entire movie. And some of you know that well. It is the, the Darth Vader scene. And um, so the deal is, Darth Vader. He is the leader of the evil empire, and um, this rebel alliance, the good guys, have gotten the best of Darth Vader, and uh, they are getting away with the plans to the Death Star. They're escaping. There's really nothing that uh, Darth Vader is going to be able to do. But there's like a few stragglers that are that are you know trying to get out, and Vader, you just see the full extent of his evil and his rage and his fury. And it is an epic, epic scene. So let's go ahead and take a look at that right now. Now, what makes this such an epic scene is that in the other Star Wars movies with Darth Vader, you you just get glimpses of his rage and his wrath. You know, you see bits and pieces of violence, but you don't see like just the Full deal. And that was, that was one of the things that made this scene so incredibly popular. It's just he, there he is in all his evil and all his anger on display in that one scene. And, you know, the reason that I show that scene to start off is because it actually is a, is a perfect picture that sets the stage for the whole movie. It's the backdrop of what's going on in Rogue One. You see, what's happening is the evil empire is on the rise. And it's led by this, by this new leader that has arisen called Darth Vader. And so, man, it is just taking off. And in fact, the Empire is developing this super weapon that actually has the ability to wipe out an entire planet in a matter of seconds. And so you just see the the power and the evil and the rage and it's just man, it is on the rise, right? Well where are the good guys in all this? What's what's happening with the rebel alliance? What's what's going on with them? Well kind of in contrast to the evil empire, what's happening instead is the Rebel Alliance is a total mess. Because you see, they had hoped that this guy named Anakin Skywalker would be, who's, you know, strong with the force, this guy, man, who's this rising leader, and they were hoping this would tip the scales of power for good over evil. And um, so, in the midst of that, what happens is Anakin Skywalker ends up going to the dark side. He becomes Darth Vader, and so the balance of power has shifted. There's Darth right there walking down, kind of freaking me out right now. That's um, kind of crazy. So, um, whew, okay, kind of freaked me out. Um, so what you've got is the Rebel Alliance, the good guys, they're a mess. There is no good, strong leadership. They're absolutely a, a group divided. And, uh, and so there's, it's a time of great skepticism. It's a time of great fear and great doubt because the empire is too strong. It is too much of a force, and the rebels don't stand a chance. Well, in the midst of this, there is a glimmer of hope. And this glimmer of hope is found in this young woman named Jin Erso. Jin, who is the main character of Rogue One, is um, she's actually been orphaned as a young girl. And what happened was her mom was killed, and her dad was taken by Vader and the Empire to develop this superweapon because her dad was a brilliant, brilliant scientist. And so he's actually been working with them throughout her whole childhood, Jin's whole childhood, and now she's an adult, and she doesn't trust anybody, and she's very bitter, and she's kind of this rogue rebel, if you will. And um, the the glimmer of hope happens in the sense that um, there's been this transmission, there's been this message that's sent, and it's supposedly from Jin's Father galen uh, who 's been working with the Empire to develop this super weapon. and apparently supposedly, although the rebels are divided on whether to believe it or not, he has built this um, super weapon with a flaw and If they can discover the flaw, then they can defeat the evil empire and so the the, the whole deal for Rogue One is that, that this ragtag group of rebels is on a mission. Can we discover the plans? For this super weapon so that we can defeat the empire. And one of these ragtag rebels who's on this mission is a guy named Cheru. And Cheru is my favorite character in Rogue One. He is a blind warrior monk, okay? Three words you'll never, ever hear put together, ever. He is a blind warrior monk, and he is awesome, Let's take a look at this scene. It's a great, great scene. And um, yeah, I, I hope you caught what he said in the beginning of that scene. He said, the force is with me, and I am with the force, and I fear nothing, for all this is as the force wills it. Almost sounds like something you might hear in church, you know? I fear nothing for all this as the force wills it. Now, that is a powerful, powerful statement that Cheru makes. And it's particularly powerful when we remember the context for what is going on. Empires on the rise. Evil is all around. They're grossly outnumbered on this mission, okay? And where doubt and fear and skepticism abounds with all these people who can see everything that's going on and all the chaos and all the disorder and all the evil around— you have this guy who cannot see and who has way more faith than those who can. I think that's fascinating. The blind man has way more faith than those who can see. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus had some run-ins with some People who were blind. And uh, one of those encounters is recorded by a tax collector turned follower of Jesus named Matthew. And Matthew wrote an account. He documented a bunch of stuff that Jesus said and did, and it finds its way into the New Testament of our Bible called the Gospel of Matthew. And in his account, in the ninth chapter, starting in the 27th verse, this is what um, Matthew writes. He says, "'As Jesus went on from there,' and from there was his hometown of Nazareth, two blind men followed him, calling out, "'Have mercy on us, son of David,' When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Now, what is amazing about this story is actually the context that you find it within, okay? Because in Matthew's account, in this ninth chapter, what we see is that Jesus is going around and he's doing these amazing teachings. He's, he's healing people. He's doing these miraculous things. And you know what's fascinating is Many of the people who actually see him do these things and hear his amazing teaching that left people in awe, you know what they do? They doubt. They don't believe at all. And many of them we find in Matthew's ninth chapter of his gospel are actually people who had a lot to lose by believing, actually, because they were the religious leaders. They were the power holders of the day. And if Jesus is upsetting this whole thing, and it's not about religion, it's about a relationship, man, it messes, it completely transforms their world in not a good way. And so they had a lot to lose. They're looking at this through a lens of faith or through a lens of skepticism and doubt. But what's fascinating is they see Jesus doing these amazing things things. And the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, these religious elite, they're just going, no, this can't be. How this is impossible. No, 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 no. And they completely opposed Jesus. But it's not just them. It's not just people with a lot to lose who doubted, who had seen what Jesus did. Actually, the people arguably who had seen the most doubted the most. That's kind of crazy to think about. Because you see Jesus was going from his hometown of Nazareth. And some of you are familiar with the fact that Jesus did very few miracles and healings in his hometown. And you know why? Because people were so skeptical. People lacked faith. Why was that? Well, I think it makes sense if you, if you think about it for a minute. Because you see, people in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth... They've actually seen Jesus, like as a boy. They've seen Jesus grow up. They've seen Jesus' siblings, right? Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. So, this is pretty incredible that you've grown up with Jesus and you know Jesus' parents, and Jesus is doing these miracles and saying, What? I am the Son of God. I'm actually God in human form. If, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And there were many who had seen, you know, miracles and teachings of Jesus, but they'd also seen Jesus' parents, and they just couldn't wrap their mind around it. You know what I'm saying? They, those who saw doubted. Understandably so. In fact, they doubted all the way to the resurrection, And the resurrection was the thing. He said, fine, you want to see something really cool? I will predict and pull off my own death and resurrection. And then, then they came around, okay? It took that sort of compelling evidence for them. But what's amazing is considering that context, people who could see Jesus with their own eyes do these things, skeptical and doubting, and then here are these two blind men. They've never seen Jesus. They have not seen one miracle, not one healing, not one sign, not one wonder. And yet they have unshakable faith. Isn't that awesome? I think there's a lesson in there for us. Faith in what we can't see. See, grace is a place, this is what I love about our church, is that grace is truly a place where um, we want you to come in and do this journey with eyes wide open. It's encouraged. We want you to be very inquisitive, ask tons of questions, doubts, things that you have that you're wrestling with that you don't understand. We want you to express those things. And we do our very best to create a safe place where we can be real in this journey. And we can express questions and struggles and doubts and all those things. And we try and, as best we can, create an environment where we can come and we can focus on who God is and we can look at the teachings of Jesus. And we can try and get answers to these things. And we can wrestle with these you know truths that God gives us. And the hope is that over time, we will be able to get a lot of those questions answered. We'll be able to get a lot of our doubts resolved, that the, the evidence and the, the reasonable logic that we're looking for will fall into place. And that's a huge part of what we're trying to create as Grace Community Church. But if we're going to be just honest with ourselves, if we're going to be real about this thing, we, we have to know that We're never going to get perfect answers to every single big question we have about God and about faith and about life, right? You're never going to get 100% of your questions answered. Not this side of heaven. We're never going to have full resolution to to those doubts that we have that sometimes are big doubts and then sometimes are just nagging little doubts. We're never going to have 100% um, resolution to those things. And we're never going to have 100% proof positive of the claims of Jesus Christ. Not 100%. I mean, not unless Jesus appears to you in your living room, you know, later on today or like Darth Vader did walking down, like just appears right now. I mean, then, then, I, then I got my 100%. You know what I'm saying? We're good. But the reality is, it's never going to be that, right? We're until we get. To heaven we're never going to have full and total clarity with eyes wide open there are some things that we just can't see and there's this um there's this nicole nordeman song that that i love it's called help me believe and there's a line in there and she's wrestling with doubts and struggles and and questions of faith and um it's just this great real raw song you know and there's this line in that song help me believe and the line goes maybe i'd see much better By closing my eyes. And and really for me, there's a great takeaway in that because there comes a point in our faith journey and no, we should never stop being curious. We should never stop questioning, okay? When we have doubts, we should never stop expressing them And, and my prayer for this church is that it should always be a place we could do this. But there comes a time and there comes a point where we have to take an honest assessment of where we are and what we know and say, do I have enough faith to believe? Do I, do I have enough? Have I, have I learned enough? Have I had enough questions answered? Do I have enough before me that I could say, yes, you know what? I believe this. In faith, I am going to believe. So um, Jesus had this uh, famous encounter with uh, one of his disciples named Thomas, famous doubter. In fact, that's where we get the expression doubting Thomas is from this guy, Thomas, who wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus was resurrected and appeared to them. And his best friends in the whole world, right? Ten of them coming to him and saying, we've seen Jesus. It's amazing. He's alive. He's God. He confirms everything. We can't believe we doubted. Thomas said, that's not good enough for me, boys. Nope. I have to see and touch Jesus before I will believe. And so Jesus actually appeared to Thomas. This is a moment of extraordinary graciousness. He appears to Thomas, and this is from another disciple, John, who also wrote an account, John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 27. And it says that Jesus said to Thomas, after the resurrection, he appears to him separately, and he says, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then Jesus says four words, That maybe if you're here and you've been wrestling for a long time with who Jesus is and and God and faith and, and all these big things, maybe these are four words that you need to take to heart. He said, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. There comes a point where we actually have enough evidence, we've, we've, we've wrestled enough, we've gathered enough, we've discussed enough, and, and we're not going to get to 100, but maybe we're at 85 or maybe we're at 93 or wherever we are. And there comes a point, at least for me, it's been a huge turning point in my life as just a natural skeptic, as someone who's constantly doubting, constantly questioning, you know, constantly wrestling and struggling. And there came a point for me where I said, you know what, God, you're right, I've got enough. I need to stop doubting and believe. And I need to come at it, come at my questions and my doubts and my struggles through a lens of faith and not a lens of doubt. And it's been powerful in my journey, in my faith, and in my relationship with God. So faith is a powerful thing. And what we see is that for Cheru, our blind warrior monk friend, that faith is absolutely crucial. And it plays a crucial role in one of the epic scenes in the movie, what we see is, um, so the Rebel Alliance, they've snuck behind enemy lines. They've, um, they've gone into this planet called Scarif. And Scarif is like the research and development planet for all the empire's evil schemes. And that is where like all the plans and all the data for, for the, um, the super weapon reside. And so they have, they have snuck their way down into enemy lines. They are grossly outnumbered. And now they're trapped on this planet by this force field. They can't even get out, okay? They, they have obtained these plans. And you'll see um, Jen and Cassian in this scene they've, they've got this little data drive thing so they've got the plans but there's one thing that they need to do Okay, they have to transmit that thing through a transmitter back to the Rebel Alliance headquarters and that transmitter is everything, and it has to be activated. And in this scene, what we see is that the, the path from where the rebels are kind of holed up and this firefight, they've, there's this long open stretch where you just, there's just bullets flying everywhere. Late, whatever those things are, lasers? I don't even know. But anyway, um, they're, they're flying everywhere, and, um, and someone's got to get out to that transmitter. And so that kind of sets the scene for you. Let's take a look at this final clip. So... The question that hits me as I watch that scene is where in the world does Cheru get the courage to walk that line and activate that transmitter? What propels him? What enables him to do that in that moment? Well, you heard what he was saying over and over, right? I am one with the force, the force is with me. I am one with the force, the force is with me. I am one with the force, the force is with me. That that mantra, that actually was a prayer that he's praying over and over and over again. And as he's praying this prayer, he is declaring a truth. And that truth, that I am one with the force and the force is with me, is actually a proclamation of the fact that he is part of something way bigger than himself. Way bigger. He has faith to believe that he plays just a small role in a massive, massive story. He's part of something way bigger than himself. You know what's interesting? All of us here, those online, we have been invited to participate in something way bigger than ourselves. Did you know that? Just like this Rebel Alliance was on this mission, we have also been called to a mission. Some people believe that the main reason that Jesus came and the focal point for Jesus' coming is all about death. He came to die. He came to die a death, to overcome death, so that when we experience death, we overcome it. And we don't have death, we just pass on into new life. And that is absolutely true. It is an absolute truth claim of Jesus that we will experience life after death. But death is only one half of the story, you guys. If you're here and you're understanding of Jesus and why he came and Christianity, and it's all about just defeating death and death, and that's, it's really about, it's a death story. You've missed, to me, what is so incredibly exciting about what Jesus came to do. See, the story is actually, yes, it's about death, but it's also about life the story of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to show us the way to live, not just to die, to live. That we're here on mission as part of something way bigger than ourselves. You see, man, I mean, I don't need to convince you of this. This world, it's a broken world, is it not? I mean, There's some really troubling stuff happening in this world. Just happened yesterday over in London, right? I mean, there's all sorts of darkness and war and evil and, and terrible things that are happening in this world. You know what Jesus came to do? He came to put us on mission. He said, you know what? We are here to love and serve and be a light to a broken, hurting world. That was how Jesus lived. That was the way. I'm the way and the truth and the life. That's the way. And every single one of us who calls ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we are actually invited into that mission. His mission is our mission. Jesus no longer walks this earth, but guess who does? His followers, right? We are his hands and feet. And our mission is to love and to serve a broken, hurting world. And you know, you might be here today watching online, whatever, and you get all fired up about that. And then, you know, you go out and you're trying to love and serve. And it's not about you and putting others first. And you're trying to, you know, be like Jesus. And that might work for a day or two or, you know, until you hit rush hour traffic. And then all of a sudden, man, it's like, it's, it's, it's on. I mean, now, now you're like, what? wait, what? This is crazy. This is, like, this is like Rogue One, man. This is a nearly impossible mission. So how do we sustain it, you guys? Because this is what God calls us to. How do we sustain it? How do we push through that? Well, you know how we do it? And some of you Star Wars guys are going to geek out over this, okay? I think we could take a page out of Chewie's playbook with that prayer, I am one with the force The force is with me. But I want to adapt it a little bit for you because I think how this works is more like this. If we can adopt a prayer mantra that goes, I am one with the Lord. The Lord is with me. I am one with the Lord. The Lord is with me. And you see, that's not just some cute Star Wars saying, okay? That's actually true. Jesus Christ declares and it's recorded in john's gospel account chapter 15 4 and 5 these words this is what jesus says to his followers he says remain in me as i also remain in you i am one with the lord and the lord is with me i am the vine you are the branches i am one with the lord and the lord is with me If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I am one with the Lord. The Lord is with me. You see, that statement, that prayer mantra, okay, and those verses that we just read are a reminder of what is actually true. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. He promises his spirit in us. He promises to be one with us. Our things, we just got to remain in him, right? We got to remain in him. And remember that we're just branches and he is the vine. It's a reminder that he is our source of life and love and goodness and kindness and patience and selflessness and all the things we need to be on mission and to love and serve this world that needs it so much. I am one with the Lord, the Lord is with me. It's declaring that truth, it's reminding ourselves of that truth. And you might not like that mantra, you might not like the idea of kind of praying that out because it's too Star Warsy for you, okay? And that's cool. Um, so I'll give you another one. So years ago, um, many years ago, when I was uh, just sitting in uh, one of the, the seats at Grace and um, there was this young man pastor named John Sly, who was preaching this sermon at Grace Community Church. And he was a young guy back then. Like, I mean, he was young and dynamic and vibrant. And um, I mean, he's, he's much older now. You know, I mean, he's, he's really he's really aged. Um, still amazing, but but he's aged. You know, you've seen this, some of you. And um, so I'm sitting there with this young, young, fiery pastor named John Sly. And he's doing this sermon, and he's talking about the importance of of speaking out God's truth and the importance of declaring it with your mouth and hearing it with your ears. And he, he gave us a phrase to repeat uh, it's, uh, over, I think it was close to 15 years ago, and I still remember it, um, where he said, just speak out, God, you're with me. Okay, and he actually made us all repeat that back. So I want to want to try that in just a second. Just repeat back, God, you're with me, um, because it was it was powerful, and it's going to give me a little nostalgia. Okay, so could you say that with me? One, two, three. God, you're with me. Okay, it's declaring this truth: God is with us, but sometimes we forget it. We lose sight of it, particularly in the midst of our doubts, our hardest questions, our biggest struggles, when God feels a million miles away. There's a time where we have to say, you know what? I'm going to declare what's true even if I don't feel it, even if I doubt it. I'm going to speak it out. God, you are with me. And let me tell you guys, that has been huge in my spiritual journey, in my times where I've been the lowest, where I've doubted the most, struggles, whatever, speaking it out. When I don't feel it, I speak it, I affirm it, I hear it, I declare it, I'm reminded of it. God, you are with me. Or for you Star Star Wars fans, I am one with the Lord. The Lord is with me. I am one with the Lord. The Lord is with me. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Find your own truth statement about God being with you and for you. And I'm telling you, it is a powerful thing. It is one practical tool that can help us with this crazy, nearly impossible, rogue one-type mission that we're on, way bigger than ourselves, to love and serve a hurting world that needs it more than ever. If we're going to do that, if we're going to stay on mission, if we're going to be courageous like Charu, we're going to walk through that firefight, we got to have something. God is with us. We gotta declare it, we gotta believe it, we gotta have faith even when we can't see it, like a blind man, that we would know it even if we can't see it. So, would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for this extraordinary mission that you call us to. Sometimes, God, the mission is overwhelming. It is, seems like a suicide mission because it is so incredibly difficult. There's difficult people in our lives. There's depressing stories. There's, there's all sorts of evil that seemingly is winning in different parts of this world. And there's just a brokenness and a skepticism. And I mean, it's, it's man, it's, it presses on us like an evil empire. But God, there is hope in you. Lord, we have faith to believe in things we cannot see. Lord, even in the midst of the things we do see that frustrate us and bring us down and cause us despair, let us fix our gaze upon what is unseen. Give us faith. Give us courage and strength. Remind us that we are one with you and you are with us. And let us be a great light in big ways, in small ways, day to day. Let us do what we can to be your hands and your feet on this extraordinary mission. What a privilege it is to be a light in this world and to represent you. Let all of us take it seriously and enable us by your power and your strength and your love. You're the vine. We are the branches. God, let us do your will. In Christ's name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9:30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.